Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 85. We have large global banks and we have regional banks and local banks all on our platform and they work with each other interchangeably. Yeah, so I think the reason why Contra uses blockchain is really quite simple. It's about decentralization. So if we're going to build a global trade network, you don't want to have all that data in one place. My name is Sapesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Trade digitalization has come a long way in the past five years or so, but there's still much more to do. Today, we're talking about trade assets, trade receivables, and the distribution of trade finance. Now, technology has certainly has a role to play in secondary markets, and this in turn can help attract capital to trade finance, a short-term self-liquidating asset, which has a relatively low default rate. Today, I'm joined in London by Josh Croker, Chief Product Officer, and Carl Wegner, Chief Executive Officer at Contour. Both, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you. Thank you. So, brief introduction, quick elevator pitch. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Josh, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. It's Josh Breaker. So, I'm the Chief Product Officer. So, I manage the product and engineering and marketing sides at Contour. My history is really with trade finance, most of my career in banking, uh, looking at providing trade finance directly as well as how we can digitize it. Really, that journey led to Contour in terms of most banks have now realizing that digitizing trade is not something that they can do themselves. It's something we need to do at a sort of an industry-wide level. And a lot of collaboration and new technologies have enabled companies like Contour to exist. And that's how I met Carl. Carl Wigner, CEO of Contour. The way I sort of describe myself, I've spent uh, about uh, 25 years in banking, in trade finance, transaction banking, cash management and about 15 years in in startups related to trade finance. So I left banking once in 2000 for a startup uh, in the dot-com days that looked at digitizing uh, buyer and seller uh, payables and receivables, connecting the financial and physical supply chain back. That was what we talked back then. I left banking again in uh, 2016, left Deutsche Bank for R3 and blockchain technology as we set up that network and tested on Corda and different projects. That led me to the original project that was the beginning of Contour, and that's where I met Josh. Thank you very much, Carlin. Connecting the physical and financial supply chain, I guess it's a challenge we've been grappling with even today. The oft-talked-about trade finance gap, we know it's increased to 1.7 trillion US dollars, according to the Asian Development Bank's recent report. How is Contour helping address the trade finance gap, Josh? Yeah, no, I think this trade finance gap is is obviously an oft-quoted figure. And really, if you look at a gap, what it means is that trade has grown. And the need for trade finance is not kept up. And I think this is something that we're really keen to look at addressing. There's a couple of different ways that we think Contour can help. The first thing is accessibility of trade finance. So how do we make trade finance more accessible? So if you look at Contour's network, we're not just the network for the very largest banks, very largest trade companies. We really want to be accessible for anybody where trade is an important part of their business. 
And that could be for a buyer, seller, a trader, or a financial institution. Uh, we can even talk about other partners as well. But I think that's one part, you know, making sure that people have access to trade finance and have access to multiple sources of trade finance. So we are a bank agnostic platform. So when a corporate comes into our platform, they're able to manage multiple bank relationships in one user interface, which can be very useful if banks have changing appetites uh, for trade finance over time, which as we've seen can happen. I think the other thing that we're looking at doing is making trade finance uh, cheaper to provide for the financial institutions. So for a financial institution to provide trade finance, it's quite an in-depth process. It's a lot of paper to manage, a lot of processes to manage, a lot of operations. And digitization can really help lower that cost to serve. If they can lower that cost to serve, then they can provide trade finance to a wider group of corporate trading customers. And I think that is the core value proposition of what we're trying to do. So making it more accessible and then lowering the cost to serve and digitization is the way to do that. I think where we're going to talk a little bit later more today is around digital assets is saying even that might not be enough because we still have the issue of who has the appetite for risk and appetite for risk is a core part of providing finance. Uh, and if we look at today's world, the appetite for risk can change quite dramatically. So making sure you have the widest pool of assets that you can create and the widest pool of financiers who are willing to take that risk, it's going to be important to making sure that nobody gets left behind and we can start to reduce that gap. Thanks, Josh. So providing accessibility to the trade finance network, making trade finance cheaper, and also really exploring those digital assets and the capability there. I guess technology can solve some of those issues, but actually it's potentially a liquidity and risk problem. Carl, is this a specific problem in certain markets and perhaps for certain types of organization? It definitely is. And as Josh mentioned, we have large global banks and we have regional banks and local banks all on our platform and they work with each other interchangeably. That also goes to our customers, we have some of the largest corporates in the world. We have very, very small SMEs as well. And whether you're talking about it lately, been a lot of talk about SMEs, MSMEs, or women-owned businesses. How can we help that? Well, because we have a platform where big and small can coexist, can work together, even the smallest bank, which is the one very often helping these SMEs or MSMEs, their ability to give a product, to give the experience to their customers on Contour, it's the same experience that the largest global banks are giving them. So it's a tremendous opportunity. They don't have to invest in infrastructure and spend tens of millions of dollars to build a system. They can access it through a SaaS model and give those customers that opportunity. So we see that it's giving the smaller banks an opportunity to give better service and goes to the efficiency, veracity, or the availability. If it's easier, it's cheaper to do, they can do smaller transactions and then that's gonna help those small companies. Josh, can you talk a little bit more about that infrastructure and, and actually whether it has a role to play in secondary markets? We talk a lot about the concept of trade finance as an asset class. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think let's just take a look at that journey a little bit more, right? So if you have a, a small trading company, their whole focus is on getting trade finance limits with their local bank so that they can sell their products into international markets or that they can access supply to international markets. So getting those trade finance limits is a, is a really important first step, especially if you're looking to but what can happen is if that local bank is quite small on the global stage and doesn't have a lot of bank relationships, even that bank going out and representing that SME saying, I will pay for the goods if you ship them to our country may not be enough. 
it's unfortunate in the world that we live in, everyone has high costs. There's high friction of dealing with all of these different counterparties. So we're looking at reducing those so that when that bank goes and represents that small buyer on the international stage, they can find someone who's willing to take that risk. And this is where having a network of banks like what Contour has is going to really change this game. Because right now it's all bilateral, right? So if I'm a local small bank in Vietnam, Bangladesh, and in Turkey, and I'm out there trying to, to issue a letter of credit based on my corporate clients, but I can't get anyone to sort of take that risk or to confirm it, then my SME isn't included in this marketplace. They get left behind, and this is where a trade finance gap can come in. But there are people who are willing to take that risk. You just have to find them. And I think this is where having a network that allows for the secondary market to come in and say, okay, even though the seller's bank doesn't have appetite for that bank, there are other banks in our network that do. It's part of their business to take that risk and to make money from it. It's a great business and it allows for more origination, it allows for more trade. So we think that we can really expand that world by using our network, reduce a lot of the friction and finding those parties that are willing to take that risk and make these trades happen that otherwise wouldn't. Thanks, Josh. And I guess connecting the dots for the network is particularly important, especially for developing and emerging markets. And we've seen a lot of correspondent banks, bank lines being cut from those larger tier one banks even before the pandemic. How do you think this new wave of decentralized finance or DeFi, I think as the Gen Z TikTok generation call it, how does that fit into this in relation to Contour's blockchain based platform? Yeah, so I think the reason why Contra uses blockchain is really quite simple. It's about decentralization. So if we're going to build a global trade network, you don't want to have all that data in one place. There's regulation reasons why you wouldn't want to have data in one place. And there's also commercial reasons why you wouldn't want to have all that data in one place. So having a decentralized network allows the world to join a common network where you can get all of these benefits of having that commonality like we were talking about without all the data sitting in one place and everyone being able to choose, okay, I want my data to be in my country and only share certain pieces of it with my trading counterparties. So that's why blockchain uh, is being used by, by Contour. In terms of DeFi and decentralized finance, it's about widening the pool of people who are willing to take those risks that we were talking about. So right now that pool is quite big. There's a lot of banks who share risk of different sort of high risk assets. And whenever somebody hits their limit, they have other banking relationships. They say, hey, okay, I'm full on terms of bank risk, but maybe the bank next door isn't. So I'm going to distribute that risk to them. And that works to, to some degree. And that's really the first step of what Contra is going to be doing is helping all of those interbank relationships have less friction and make sure that those deals happen in a much, much easier, more streamlined way. But even that may not be enough And saying other sources of finance that are, exist out there in the world that can step in and take risk when maybe all of the banks decide, you know what, we're all full of that certain bank risk. That's really exciting. It's a really new space that's still emerging, but I think what that space is going to want is security and they're going to want trust. They're going to want to know that I am actually financing a real trade, a real asset that has been verified and that exists in the real world. And I think that's something that Contra is very well positioned to provide. The reason we started and, and the original founding group of Contours banks were global banks and regional and local banks at that time. There's nine banks that invest in us, but we have 16 banks. We're adding banks, local banks, small banks. We're looking forward to some a bank uh, signing up uh, local banks in India, in Vietnam, adding to the network, hoping in Africa as well. The mindset of that group was collaboration. It wasn't to be exclusive. The biggest banks realized that they need to bring in 
the smaller banks. Now, what we see also is in the opportunities for other financiers to also come in and connect in to help this trade gap. The banks are interested in having that assistance because, like Josh said, if there's a country with a a credit issue, and we've seen things happen, you know, recently where there may be credit issues for one country or another, every bank is going to drop their credit appetite. Where is that credit appetite going to come from? Where is that financing going to come from? Well, there are other lenders that might be interested in this. That can help because who gets hit when the credit lines for a country get uh, reduced? It's not the biggest companies. It's the medium and the small companies. And so it's an opportunity to distribute and democratize uh, trade finance. Thank you very much, Josh and Carl. I like the idea of minting unfunded bank risk. I guess more of a, a specific question. Is there a particular trade finance product pool that you'd look at focusing on or, or distributing letters of credit, for example? Yeah, no, I think if you look at different asset classes in this space, you have a sort of unfunded bank risk. You talked about that. That's sort of a confirmation for letters of credit. This is the big uh, area of appetite saying that the seller doesn't want to take the issuing bank risk. They're asking their bank to take that risk for them. Uh, or maybe even that bank doesn't want to do it. So how do we go find somebody else that will to give that supplier confidence to go and ship their goods to that buyer? So that's sort of the unfunded. Then you have funded bank risk, which is looking at, okay, there's a promise to pay from that overseas bank. That's say 30, 60, 90 days, but the money's actually going to go to the seller. And then the repayment has to come from that, that local issuing bank. So that's sort of funded bank risk. And then you have the whole corporate risk area as well. So I think because Contra right now is focusing on growing uh, the more traditional trade products and the bank risk side of things. We think that's where we can really help to make an impact. It's both on this unfunded and funded bank risk. You know, we sort of realized this as we were going through this. Everyone was talking about digital assets. How are we going to create digital assets? But it's a very natural process in Contour. We're not a messaging platform. When a letter of credit gets issued on Contour, it is the creation of a digital asset. And it has a complete audit trail. It's completely trackable. It's completely singular in nature. All of these characteristics of a digital asset we sort of created without even thinking about it before people were talking about digital assets and now really it's going to be about opening that pool of people who want to finance yeah i mean it's really interesting because i think when we probably had a call a couple of years ago when preparing our white paper and the objective was initially around digitizing the letter of credit initially carl what needs to be done to help this asset class mature and bring in funds from other asset classes say pension funds etc as we mint those digital assets there's the amount of veracity and, and confirmability of the information and knowing where it came from, who the buyer and sellers are, they're on a network. And that's going to make it easier for non-bank financial institutions, funds, family fund offices to be able, if they want to access this market and trade finance. They don't have particularly maybe the trade risk experts. But the first thing they want to do is make sure that that asset is real, that the documentation, which is all electronic now, they can manage. And for them also to manage it more efficiently. Right? They're not going to be building back offices, handling paper. That's not going to be the way they're going to look at it. So I think the fact that we can mint early on these digital assets that are usable, verifiable, will make it easier for new players to come into the system. And because we have the bank network, they're going to be interacting with our banks. That bank network is a key point where people are interacting, people are talking. Right now, it's on phones and having lunch, finding who you know there. Well, the market, the world market of, of finance, again, it's global. Now it's not just talking to people down the street. Globally, being able to access this information is going to be very valuable. 
Thank you very much, Carl. And I guess it's the idea of building a digital asset marketplace. What's the next phase of growth for you guys at Contour and what are the key areas of exploration? Yeah, so continue as, as Josh was saying, we're talking about the digital asset, um, leveraging the digital assets we're already minting now is one area we're going to continue to grow in that product area and leverage the network. We're also continuing to build in different industries. So again, our network is banks and corporates. We've had good success in iron ore and metals and, and petrochemicals and chemicals. We're seeing textiles, we're seeing the retail, and that's why we're seeing the growth in some of these new geographies where Middle East is growing quite rapidly right now. So I'll be spending a lot of time in the Middle East over the next couple of months getting banks and corporates on board. So we see geographically and from the customer industry range is, is going to expand quite quickly as well. Josh, how will Contour actually go about implementing this? We're very lucky at Contour to, to have sort of a, a lab, which is quite unique, I think, for sort of a small fintech company. I think the whole company is quite innovative, but we do have people within our company that are just focusing on how do we take an idea uh, like this and bring it all the way through sort of ideation, creation, business cases around it, all the way through to develop into our production solution. That's what we'll do. We're also very fortunate to have support of a lot of these major trade finance banks around the world that want us to do this. Really, they're coming to us and saying, hey, we're already using Contour. We're already in the network. All of the people we're distributing risk to are also in our network. Why are we still using email and phone calls and lunches? We should be able to do this here. And we, of course, violently agree with them. So what we're going to do is, is start working on all those workflows and designing all the workflows. We'll mock up the screens. We'll refine it together with them. We really believe in this sort of co-creation process. Uh, once we all agree that, yes, this helps solve a business problem, this is a meaningful solution, uh, we'll then move it into our in-house development team in Singapore, uh, and we'll have it in our next release. It's really a great process for us to go through that co-creation all the way through development and then release, and then it'll be available for all the banks in our network to use. Just a quick question of that, and I know we talked about this during the week, but the idea that when you're looking at partnering with other vendors or other solution providers, it's kind of all about finding out, you know, where's the common ground, but where is also the value add? And in relation to Contour Lab, I'm sure you're experimenting with lots of things. What happens if something fails? What's your view on that? I think that's great. I think the industry needs to be able to try things for them to fail, right? So. The labs uh, looked at lots of different things and you know, we sort of have a growth mindset. So we say, not that it's failed, but maybe it's not ready yet. So, you know, an example of that is, you know, we've been working on the open account space and seeing what is the appetite in the corporate space for some of these new methods of payment. URDTT is an example, you know, Uniform Rules of Digital Trade Transactions, the ICC published. You know, we're great to see these types of new standards coming out, but maybe they're best suited to a lab right now in terms of co-creation, experimentation, rather than us going ahead and using sort of scarce development resources to put it into production before the market is ready. So I don't think that's a failure. I just think maybe it's not ready yet. I think the lab's a great place to go and explore these things without changing your sort of production roadmap and making sure that what we build is something that can be used today. I think it's something that we've done from the very beginning of Contour. We're not going to go and build the future before the industry is ready. We're going to solve the industry's existing problems today and work with them on this journey to solve tomorrow's problems tomorrow. Very pragmatic answer. And it's good because, you know, we can look at the history of the trade finance product development as an industry 
and we can see what's worked well and perhaps what's not worked so well, but um, good approach there. Carl, how can others get involved and what's the call to action? Right now, we have this growing network of corporates and banks, but also partners. Now we're talking to a lot of partners and as we were talking about uh, yesterday at the conference, we know that we can't do everything. We're managing, our strength is the banking network and our understanding of trade finance. We're never gonna understand cargo release, bunkering, booking contingents, there's a lot of other areas out there that are involved in global trade. Global trade is very complicated. Really looking forward to working with other partners to help us build a complete ecosystem that solves a customer's problem, whether it's the bank or the corporate. Again, we can't do everything with everyone and similar to the lab, with our partners, we're focusing where there's a customer nexus, where there's a corporate or a bank that says, I'm using Contour, I'm using this system, you two need to talk. There's certain X amount of fields that one should feed into the other or update the other so I don't have to uh, rekey it in. That absolutely makes sense and we're happy to do that. And we're looking forward to doing more of that to be able to make the experience for our customers even more smooth. But it's not trying to boil the ocean to everything. We have to, where there's a customer nexus, then that fits first. Thank you very much, Josh and Carl, for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. And I think the real key take home here is recognizing that trade and trade finance is complicated and really looking at where the problems are and where the opportunities are and focusing quite heavily on those is incredibly important here. It's been great having you discussing digital assets and how those are going to be impacting the future of trade and trade finance. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.